ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode two of the Summer Sports Spectacular. Drew, we are back off the heels of the 2005-2006 National Championship game. I said, I've listened back, I said 0405 a few times, so that's, oh. that's my bad, right? It was episode one. We're making mistakes. We're learning. We're making our way through. But if you are a new listener, my name is Jordan Lorenz. I'm joined alongside my co-host, freshly graduated Drew Skyber. We talk about it on a podcast on Monday when we drop that. We'll talk all about it there. But Drew, good feedback from episode one, I hear, huh? Yeah, so far, some great feedback. A lot of people have really enjoyed the show. And it's, it's, it's got around 30 plays already, which is, that's always great to see. That's not even including YouTube. And like Jordan said, I did gra- in fact graduate. So it's another great thing. And today we have a game for you guys, the 1991 world series Braves at twins. And it's known as the greatest game seven ever. So that's going to be a great game to talk all about. I had no idea it was called that before going into this thing after I was looking up because I don't want to look at notes beforehand, right? Because I'll like figure out who wins or what. So I do all my notes after and I saw that and I was like, whoa, I mean, watching this game, you know, this thing was insane. And Drew, I just want to congratulate you, right? Because last week you said this was going to be a pitcher's duel. Dude, you were right. Yeah, I'm. you know, I don't miss my brewer prediction is spot on. <laughs> it's going to be spot on or it will be. We'll, we'll know by then. Yes, and... we will know. This was a pitcher's duel. This is the definition of a pitcher's duel. Like, it doesn't get any better than this. No, not at all. This thing was absolutely fantastic. But before we get to game seven, we got some stuff to cover. Let's look at the season first, right? 1991. I mean, I was negative 10 years old at the time. So let's see what happened in this season. We'll start. Drew, do you want to start looking at the final standings or do you want to talk about all stars for the year? Let's talk some all stars, Jordan. All right, let's start with the all-star game. And I want to guess from you, in the AL, how many players from the Twins do you think started on the all-star team? I'm going to say four. One. There was one twin player who started. Curry Punk. Jack, Jack oh. Morris. Wow, I figured sure. it was going to be like Chuck Noblock, or Noblock, Kirby Puckett, Jack Morris. Wow. The only reserve from the Twins was Kirby Puckett. For position players, I should say. There was Scott Erickson as a pitcher and Rick Aguilera as a pitcher. But otherwise, that's it, dude. Four twin players on the All-Star team. We had Jack Morris as the pitcher. Catcher, Sandy Almora. First baseman, Cecil Cecil Fielder, however you pronounce it. Second baseman, Roberto Alomar. Third baseman, Wade Boggs. Cal Ripken Jr., Ken Griffey Jr., Dave Henderson, Ricky Henderson, and Danny Tartable as designated hitter. Those are the AL players. I mean, Cal Ripken Jr., Ken Griffey Jr., those guys, absolutely fantastic. And now the NL, right? Try it again. How many Braves players do you think started? I'm going to say Pendleton, Justice, uh, Glavin. That's three. I'm going to say three. One. Tom Glavin. That's it. I was blown away when I saw this. That's I mean, big, yeah, big second half for the, for both teams. Then, if they're only having one start for the NL and AL, yeah, both teams are like this. Benito Santiago was the catcher. Then you had Will Clark, Reed Sandberg, Chris Sabo, Ozzy Smith, Ivan Calderon, Tony Gwynn, Andre Dawson, and Bobby Bonilla. I mean, this I blown away. Reserves, not a single reserve player. For the Braves. Not even Pendleton? No. I 
I'm looking through again. No, I don't see at all. Wow. Reds, Reds, Astros, Expos, Dodgers, Pirates, Cardinals, Mets, Astros, Dodgers, Phillies, Dodgers, Mets, Reds, Dodgers, Cardinals, Reds, Dodgers, Cubs. That's it. Crazy. I mean, this just blows my mind that these two teams, like you said, they must have had a really strong second half. So let's go right into the standings. The AL East was led by the Toronto Blue Jays, 91 and 71 on the year. Red Sox and Detroit were tied for second. And guess what? The Milwaukee Brewers in the AL East were in fourth place, 83 and 79 in 1991. And the Twins, obviously, win the AL West, 95 and 67. Second place was the Chicago White Sox, who were eight games behind. I mean, Red Sox, seven games behind Blue Jays. White Sox, eight games behind Twins. Not really close in the AL. As for the NL, this first one doesn't get any closer. The Pirates win the NL East, 98 and 64. St. Louis Cardinals were 14 games behind them. But then you get to the NL West. Good stuff here. Braves, 94 and 68. Dodgers, just one game behind them at 93 and 69. So close in the NL West. And as for the rest, not really too close. But we got here through the playoffs and the playoffs. ALCS and NLCS. And that's it. There's no divisional series back in the day. So Twins and Blue Jays. Not even close. Twins win four games to one. Twins win 5-4. Then they lose 5-2, but then they win 3-2, 9-3, and 8-5. So Twins basically just destroy the Blue Jays. No problems at all. They only lost one game, and that was the second game, and it was on the road. So, I mean, there was that. But Or, pardon me, that was at home. That was at the Metrodome, the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome. Yeah. It says, in, and we know how big of a factor home stadium plays in the World Series. We'll get to there. But first, Atlanta Braves and the Pittsburgh Pirates goes all seven games. This was a close one between these two teams. Pirates win 5-1. Braves win 1-0. Then they win 10-3. Then in a 10-inning game, the Pirates win 3-2. So we're all knotted up at two. 1-0 win for the Pirates. 1-0 win for the Braves. And then the Braves win 4-0 in game seven. Talk about a good series. That one was close. And yeah, for like what you mentioned, imagine because you mentioned the playoffs, you know how it used to be the NL East versus the NL. There's no central division back then. And just imagine a scenario where the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Atlanta Braves end up in the same like they, they could have been both in the NL East. And that would have been uh, that would have been crazy because those teams, like you mentioned, were both stellar teams that season. I mean, Pittsburgh had Barry Bonds and the Braves had Pendleton and it just it's a good thing because, you know, with the Brewers, because the Milwaukee Braves, it used to be, as you know, yes. and when they moved to the, because the Brewers were always in the NL West or the AL West, my bad. AL, yes. Yeah. Correct. Uh, and then when they moved, it was, they the, when they moved to Atlanta, they stayed in the NL West still, even though they were geographically more in the East. So I think that's always interesting. Yeah. I found that weird. And also the Montreal Expos were a team back in the day. I mean, Crazy stuff when we're looking back. I always find it fun looking at all these things and what happened. You got the Brewers in the same group with the Blue Jays, the Red Sox, the Yankees. I mean, imagine that now, that Brewers-Yankees all year long. That would be interesting. So I know you said you've got some awards for these teams. You want to give those away? Not your own awards, but. Oh, no, no. But, uh, yeah, I got we got the Baseball Writers Association, their awards that were given out this year. And both of these teams got a bunch of awards. 
So first, the manager of the year award, Tom Kelly of the Twins and Bobby Cox of the Braves. So both managers ended up getting manager of the year, which I think I think in game seven, it just showed because both both managers did an incredible job throughout the game. I don't know. What did you think, Jordan? Oh, yeah, absolutely fantastic. It was the Braves' first year as manager. I'm pretty sure I heard that in the game. That's crazy. Coming through, going all the way to game seven. We'll talk about the result when we get there. Did he win the World Series? I don't know. I mean, this is a pretty famous game. So if you don't know the result already, pause the video. Go watch it yourself. Two hours, 44 minutes, I think. But flies by. Yeah, and then for more awards, we have for the Atlanta Braves, the Braves had the 1991 NL MVP in Terry Pendleton, and he had a phenomenal year. It was his first year with the Braves. He came from St. Louis the year prior, and he had 22 home runs, 86 RBIs, 319 average to go along with that. And to round it all out, he had an 880 OPS. So he just he just had a great overall year, and he finished first in the MVP voting, and Barry Bonds of the Pirates finished second. So that that NLCS had the number one and number two for MVP voting that year stacked let's yeah. do some stat leaders for the year before we get into world series can you guess the leader in stolen bases how many stolen bases did they have as a team no just one player in particular oh you must be talking of otis nixon of the atlanta braves nope not between just these two teams i mean in general for the whole mlb oh you're asking you're talking about okay so um, I'm going to say as a whole MLB, holy crap. For the year, what player led for stolen bases? Not as a player. I mean, how many did they have? It had to be in the hundreds. I mean, Ricky Henderson, you mentioned. It was 110. See, that's what I thought, but it's not. Marquise Grisman, 76. Oh. That's the leader. So, I mean, we overshot a little bit, but that's okay, Oops. right? No big deal. Then four home runs. We had a tie in the AL for who had the most for the year. Jose Canesco with 44 and Cecil Fielder with 44. And then when you get to RBIs, 133 for Fielder of the Detroit Tigers. 133 ribbies. Prince Fielder's dad. (laughs) Yes. He has insane. Great numbers. And you mentioned Jose Canseco as well. Big steroid guy. I mean, he has that famous book where he just accuses people of steroids. So, I mean, this we're, we're, we're in the steroid era or in the beginning of the steroid era, really, in this because this is where Bonds, he's still in the Pirates, so he's still skinny. But once he goes to the San Francisco Giants, his head just grows a couple sizes and he just becomes <laughs> an absolute monster. Everything changes. And yeah. yeah, I think you said it perfect. Beginning of the steroid era. We're not in the heart of it yet, but we are getting there. So we covered all-stars. We covered the standings. We covered stat leaders, awards, covered the playoffs. Let's get into this. Let's get into the World Series, right? It goes all seven games. I mean, we're covering the seventh game. So how did we get here? Well, it all started with a three-hour game at the Metrodome. Minnesota Twins winning five runs to two. Second game, two hours and 37 minutes. Twins win three to two. So the gap getting a little smaller as the Braves shrink the three-run gap to just one, and the Braves do indeed win game three. I should note, first two games at the Metrodome in Minneapolis. Third game is in Atlanta at the Fulton County Stadium. This third game, 12 innings, four hours, four minutes, 5-4 win for the Braves. That is a huge game. 
and a turning point in the series. I mean, when you're down 2-0, that can get to you. But Braves win just a one-run game once again. Game four, same thing. Braves win 3-2 in a two-hour, 57-minute game. The only game that wasn't close, Drew, game five. 14 to five win for the Braves and judging off game seven, that game five seems wild. Like where did that come from? What went wrong? Just uh, for game five. Yeah. I mean, we didn't watch it, but how can the twins lose by nine runs? I'm guessing with the twins with their, like they led the whole majors in offense this, this past year, because we're talking 91 here, they have, they led an average hits OPS on base percentage. So when, when you have an offense like that, I mean, you can just put up runs, and that's kind of what we saw. It's crazy, crazy stuff. And then game six, the night before game seven, they played on back-to-back nights, game six and game seven. Game six, three hours, 46 minutes, a four-to-three win for the Twins. The Twins get one back at the Metrodome. So that sets the stage. Here we are, game seven. The home team has won all games in the series so far, and they put up a graphic right away. I'm going to find it of the history of what happened when all the home teams have won the games. Let's see. 1955, Brooklyn won at New York Yankees. 1956, Yankees won at Brooklyn. 1965, Dodgers won at Minnesota. 71, Pittsburgh won at Baltimore. And 87, Minnesota beat St. Louis at home. So only one time when the single or when the series, I should say, has been won by the home team in all six previous games, only one time has the home team won the seventh game. And we're going to see what happened here in game seven. I blew it last week. Episode one, I said Texas was 13 and 0. I blew it at the start of the episode. I like building suspense for people who haven't seen it. So let's get right into this game right away. We see this dude, he's like the sideline announcer sitting by the trophy. We see the game is on CBS Sports. They've got the banners all over. And this, Drew, I need your first impressions. It's because what I'm asking you every time, but this thing felt old. Oh, it felt old. When you have no player graphics, no scoreboard, you have Jack, you have Joe Buck's dad on the call, for Christ's sake. It's yeah. going to feel really old. And that's, that's kind of what we experienced. I, I even with CBS covering sport covering baseball like that that's that's old in itself so and I, there wasn't even a CBS sports channel at the time was there I'm, I'm not even sure Jordan no because now there's NBC sports CBS sports but it said CBS sports everywhere so go ahead continue I'm sorry yeah I, I thought I thought uh, Jack Buck and Tim McCarver though I thought they did a pretty good job I mean Jack Buck he's been there a while you I it's his, it was his last World Series game to call and I, I thought he did a pretty good job. Yeah, I didn't think it was bad at all. Real quick, what are your thoughts on Joe Buck? I know it's love or hate with the guy. Well, I think uh, Joe Buck, sometimes he has good calls. Like, I don't know, I, I don't mind him always in baseball, but, like, sometimes in football, like, there's better guys, you know? I'm the opposite. I hate his really? baseball work. I find it incredibly boring. Like, if the playoffs come on and it's Joe Buck, I'm like, come oh. on. Like, there's so many other guys who do baseball for a living full-time that are actually good at their job. And Joe Buck just comes in at the playoffs. It bothers me. I don't like it. I think he just bores he just bores me for football. I don't mind him all the time for football, but I know a lot of people don't like him and Troy. So I found it fitting, moving back on track here. This is Jack Buck's last World Series. And last week, 
we did Keith Jackson's final game, which was the championship. So very fitting that that happens. And it's very fitting. We got two tremendous games back to back. We start with the pitchers, Jack Morris for the twins, John Smoltz for the Braves. You said last week you would expect some Kirby Puckett and maybe John Smoltz. Sure enough, Smoltz is here and we'll get into it. He had 20 wild pitches in the season, which is pretty high, but he was eight in one since the all-star break. So we talked about how these teams really turned it around because they didn't have a whole lot of all-stars eight and one since the break. And Morris, this guy's a playoff pitcher, six and one in the postseason, three and oh in world series starts and right out of the gate, three up, three down. And it's the same thing for Smoltz. Both guys get a strikeout in their respective sides of the inning. There's our first inning flew by the slider though from John Smoltz. Did you see that thing? Oh, yeah, I saw his slider, and then you saw the Jack Morris split-fingered fastball. Both, both pitchers just, they had everything going for them the whole game, and it just was it was a, just a great thing to see. True pitcher's duel, as we said. But top of the second, single, base hit, whatever. Runner gets stranded at second, and then eventually in the bottom of the second, two singles, but runner stranded on first and second. That's going to be a theme throughout this game is runners being stranded on base in the big time scenarios. There's a big position later in the game that we'll end up getting to. So top of the third inning, there's a single, you know, wild pitch gets the runner to second one out runner on second walk runners on first and second one out and they can't do anything with it. The Braves can't do it. They leave runners stranded on first and second. Now we get to the bottom of the third inning. There's an out, then there's a double, then there's a fly out to right. The runner tags to third base, runner on third, two outs, nothing. Leaves him stranded on third base. Drew, at this point, I think we know maybe nerves are kicking in, but we just know these pitchers are incredible. Yeah, J- Jack Bung mentioned it throughout the game numerous times. He's like, oh boy, we, we got ourselves a game. And he always mentioned that, hey, the runs are going to be really tough to score this game and even like you mentioned like if a wild pitch occurs like that that's a big big thing because you can get a runner in scoring position because these pitchers are so locked in the offense needs as much help as they can get whether it's a pass ball wild pitch hit by pitch walk they needed anything to go their way yeah there weren't a lot of walks in this game wild pitches a few here or there but nothing too bad catchers did very good as well so we get to the top of the fourth inning strikeout fly out and a double then two outs, runner on second, nothing. Can't do anything with it. Leaves the runner on second and bottom of the fourth inning. Did you see this hit by pitch? Did the ball even hit the dude? I was not sure. That was such, it was so close. I don't think it hit him. And it was such a delayed call too. Last week, we talked about how the referees relied on instant replay and stuff. Obviously, first of all, we're talking baseball. So now they have replay or whatever. But back in the day, nothing even closed. This umpire didn't call it. And then all of a sudden, he just, like, let the batter talk to him, I guess. And he said, yep, it hit him, and he takes his base. So, Yeah, some acting. That's what I, I thought. Yeah. And like you said, there's no replay, and uh, it was kind of tough, but, like, runner stranded. Yeah, runner stranded once again. There was a beautiful diving catch in right field, and then there was a flyout to the second baseman, and that did it. We're through four innings, no hits, min- or no runs, I should say, minimal hits through it and I wanted to also say the umpires their hats (laughs) 
They were the most basic hats I've ever seen. It said AL and NL. I mean, these things were ugly. Yeah, back back in the 90s, that's how, even before that, that's how they always had it with the NL and AL umpires. And they still had those old uniforms. I'm not sure when they got the redesign of the logo, but those were hideous. Oh, and speaking of, it's hard enough to follow the game when there's no scoreboard. The Twins didn't have their names on the back of the jerseys. This was like USC last week. Did this bother you as much as it did me? Braves? I mean, it was fine. You could see Smoltz pitching. You could see the guys kind of clear. Not the best picture game, but still no names on the back of the Twins jerseys. It it did bother me too much I I because I recognized some of the Twins players. Like I recognized Chuck Knobloch. I recognized Kirby Puckett. So I was like, hey, I know these guys, but. Sometimes it for a major league team, it kind of bothers me because like they're a major league team. Yeah, I expect last names on the back unless it's like the Yankees or yeah, but yeah, like oh, tradition, well. something yeah. like that. But I mean, there was none here. So let's go to the fifth inning base hit right out of the gate. And I had in my notes, the dude who got the hit 27th round draft pick crazy. You're a 27th round pick why are there that many rounds in a draft in the first place blows my mind but he gets a hit starting off the inning right lead off hit and then sacrifice bunt drew small ball in this stage this was incredible the amount of bunts that were laid down insane blew my mind oh, oh yeah and certainly there were some bunts that were just beautiful bunts like the, there was a bunt for a base hit later in the game absolutely beautiful like right between the oh was that when he dove and made it yep. in the first yes yeah and that was that was crazy and like, i just thought small ball all the way like you mentioned it was sack bunts tried stolen base attempts stuff like that was intentional walks too yes. look at there yeah we will talk about those in a minute but oh and here was the single where he bunted then dove into first that was this inning so right now we've got runners on the corners with one out then fly out to center field, or pardon me, fly out to the shortstop. And then we had the wild pitch right here. This was close. Wild pitch goes back behind the catcher. Runner decides he's going back to third. Catcher throws him out. No, they called him safe. And this could have been a turning point in the game, but the batter strikes out. So it didn't really matter. Did you think he was safe or was he out? Again, it was hard to tell. I, I, I couldn't really tell. I think, I think he was safe. I, it was a, there was no good camera angle to yeah, really point out either way. Yeah, so I think whatever the umpire calls, because like like you just mentioned, some of the angles we got were not really ideal. Oh yeah, uh, first pitch of the game was like <laughs> a very. I was like, are we gonna sit through this the whole time? And like the camera was moving, and then it was behind the umpire, if I remember right, and then it flipped. I don't know. Yeah, it was wild. They must have been trying but, something new out or something. Yeah, probably. I don't know. There's no way it was like that the entire time. So six inning, really nothing happens. Three up, three down on both sides because of a double play in the bottom half of the inning. And we get to the seventh inning. Both starting pitchers are still in the game. And it says there's only been one other World Series game seven scoreless through six innings. We make it through the seventh inning with no score so this is the longest seventh game seventh game ever without a team scoring Morris has allowed five hits Smoltz has allowed four and Drew I found it intriguing they put these graphics up throughout the game quite a bit right saying how the pitchers were doing talking about old word series 
how hard would it be for them to put up a graphic for players? Like, why can't they get that done? I, I didn't understand that either, Jordan. I was like, I, I figured like it was 90s. I figured we at least have some player graphics. That was, that was probably my one, like the one worst thing I thought of the broadcast. Like that, like that was the, my one, my one complaint. I agree. I mean, I have a few complaints, but that's definitely up there because they were showing these graphics. They put a graphic for the umpires at the start of the game. They were talking about them and giving them credit. So I don't know, because I always enjoy seeing like when it just has weird stats and stuff like that. And I would have loved to see how these guys did during the course of the year, but we didn't get that. So this eighth inning, top of the eighth inning is where things get interesting. Top of the eighth single right away for the Braves dude check swung oh, he got a crazy. single out of it just, I don't know how he hit that ball yeah a little tap a little yeah. poke yeah it and was then, like almost like he he just like half bunted and it was like boom it went to right center yeah it was like a swinging bunt that was a fly ball like we can't explain it you have to watch it because I don't understand how that happened and then the announcers right these guys are smart they figure out that when the was it the catcher who tapped the top of his head or the coach I think it was the manager. Yeah, I thought it was the manager who sent the signal to the catcher, if I remember right. But the announcers figure out that that tap on the head, that means he's either going to do a slide step or throw it over to first. And this happened like three times in a row. So they got it. The announcers figured out the code. Obviously, that's something they got to change in the future. And here it is, a double, a double from the Braves. The guy on first is running. He's running. Second baseman fakes a throw to the shortstop who's at second base, a decoy. When is the last time you've seen something like this work? Because the dude running stopped at second base, and then he ended up going to third. Unbelievable, Drew. Yeah. By second baseman Chuck Knobloch, who was actually the 1991 Rookie of the Year as well in the AL, which he did a great job there. And also the shortstop really sold the fake too. They were acting like they were trying to turn in the double play. And it just, it was a few steps. That's all it took. And the, the guy, he like kind of backpedaled for a few steps. And that's kind of, that, that, that's all she wrote. He did yeah, not score st- because of it. A little stutter step kind of changed it. We couldn't see it in real time, but thank, thankfully they showed a replay because that was incredible. It's something you do never expect it to work. It worked in the top of the eighth inning when it matters the most. And then there's an unassisted play at first base. Runner stays at third. So we've got one out, runners on second and third, and they load the bases, an intentional walk. And I just have to say, thankfully, we don't have to sit through intentional walks anymore because the pitcher throwing four times, so repetitive, not needed at all. We have the bases loaded. There are one out. There's just one out, I should say, in the inning. And a double play occurs the twins get out of it i put wow in all caps drew if i'm being honest this eighth inning best of the entire game totally agree this eighth inning had so much action although we'll talk about how much offense really was in this eighth inning but like it, it was just it was jam-packed it was a long eighth inning but yeah there's so much entertainment in this eighth inning Half an hour at least, especially too, because yeah. we got pitching changes, which we're going to get right into. Bottom of the eighth inning, Twins get a leadoff hit, and there's a fly out. And next up, a single runner gets to third. Runners on the corners, one out. And this is when Mike Stanton comes into the game. And Stanton is certainly not in the game for long, but his first at bat, an intentional walk. So here we are with this again. 
bases are loaded, one out, and a line out into a double play. This was crazy. Lines out to the second baseman, goes and tags. I mean, if you're the guy on second, you're running on that, right? There's no way you even think twice. Yeah, totally. And I think, I, well, one thing about the pitching change was that I was actually really surprised they brought in Mike Stanton. I was thinking we were going to see T- Tom Glavin, the 1991 NL Award winner. I thought we were going to totally see him in this game, which we actually end up not seeing him at all, which yeah, not at all. Awfully surprising. I don't. Did he pitch in Game Six? Possibly. Yeah, that we aren't sure of. I, I'm pretty sure he did, but they were talking about um, pitching him like that night out of the bullpen in case because like it's yes, it's, they did say that. Yeah, winner go home. So I mean, they were they mentioned that the announcers did, and I thought that was certainly something we'd see. But we didn't. I've, that is a good point. I don't know why they did it, but Stanton didn't last long. We'll get to it in the bottom of the ninth. Three up, three down in the top of the ninth. Jack Morris is just an animal. The dude's at over 100 pitches at this point. Top of the ninth, three up, three down, like I said. Ends it with a strikeout. Bottom of the ninth inning. Twins get a hit. Twins get a bunt for a single. They tried to sacrifice, and they get on. Two guys on, no outs, but Mike Stanton, the bunt, like he had to change direction real quick and when he did I don't know if it was a cramp or if he did something with his leg but he goes down I don't know if he's faking this a little more than he needs to but they send in Pena was it Alejandro Pena was that Alejandro Pena yep yes Alejandro Pena with the little Enye over the N he comes into this game we got two guys on runner on first runner on second no outs a double play gets two outs right away then here we are again, intentional walk. So we've got a situation here where the Twins can score, run around the corners. Nope. Strikeout. Pena gets the job done. Drew, we're heading into the 10th inning. Thoughts through nine here. Anything else you got to add? Some free baseball. That's what I thought right away. When I saw 10th, I'm like, we got a World Series game seven and some free baseball with it. So I was it's... like, let's go. And it was a 10th inning to remember. I have in all caps, Morris is still pitching. I have the final number somewhere. I believe he pitched 124. I believe he had 124 pitches. 126 in the game. 126 pitches he had. And this is the first time since 1924 a game seven went to 10 innings. Morris gets a flyout and a strikeout, and then shortstop throws it over to the first baseman. We head to the bottom of the 10th. Alejandro Pena is pitching. We're at the Metrodome. Home team has won every game in the series. It's only happened one time before where the home team wins all games. That was the Twins who did it the last time. Will they do it again? Starts off a leadoff double. Dude, the bat snapped in half. How did this go as far as it did? I, I was shocked too. I, I don't know these baseballs. They might have been a little juiced or something, but <laughs> a little we juice saw back in the day, we saw some balls go places like for, with like half swings that they should yeah. have gone. A lot of them actually. Now that you bring it up, like the one we mentioned before too. But here we are again. Sacrifice bunt, small ball, small ball, small ball. Runner at third base, one out. There is no runner at second. I actually think. That in playoffs, now that we have the extra inning rule with the runners at second, I think in playoffs, there shouldn't be a runner at second. 
I feel like it is way more rewarding to get a game end like this. Two walks, two intentional walks. The Braves load the bases with one out to bring up an injured twin. He's limping as he comes to the plate and he walks it off. The Minnesota Twins win the 1991 World Series thanks to Kent Herbeck. This dude, or pardon me, thanks to Gene Larkin. Larkin. Yes, I looked at the wrong one. I should have seen the big bold letters. Gene Larkin, a single deep to left field. I mean, even if it would have been caught, this game would have been over. Gene Larkin gets the job done. Everyone goes crazy in the Metrodome. The Twins win 1-0 in the World Series. That wraps it up. What a game seven. I know you were a little crunched for time, but you got it done. And boy, aren't you glad you did? Yeah, I'm glad. It was a two-hour, 44-minute game, like you said. Certainly worth my time. And I'd recommend, if you have not watched it yet, guys, go check it out. It's on YouTube, Game 7, 1991 World Series. Search it, boom, done. And If anything, watch the 8th through 10th innings. I mean, yeah, come on. Like, like these teams are we're both stacked, and it showed, and we saw two teams who are best. They're the clear-cut best two teams in the baseball this year. And we saw them, and they truly put together a phenomenal Game 7. One of the best, if not the best, like you said. Any other thoughts on the game, any of the players or anything? I mean, I think we kind of covered it all, but. Yeah, we got it all. So now I have to ask you, right? This game we watched from 1991. We're scheduled on July 7th to watch game seven of the World Series from 1965. After watching this game, are you more or less excited for that because it might be hard to follow well i just looking at this game if there's gonna if there's no scoreboard in this game or any really like graphics for players um i'm gonna assume there's not gonna be any for the 1965 definitely not i would assume not (laughs) might be a tough watch might be we potentially might change that because I'll tell our listeners, we let the wheel decide everything, right? And we got a really good mix of basketball, football, and it's not like we're watching basketball back-to-back weeks, football this week. We got a good mix from the wheel. We haven't revealed the full schedule yet. Maybe I will on the Instagram as a, like a little bonus for following us. I could put all the things up there. That, that's uh-huh. a good idea. But we just changed the other day because we were going to do two game sixes is what it turned out for basketball. And I said, that's kind of boring. Because it's game six. You know who's going to win. So why don't we do game sevens? I gave us a list of some game sevens. I picked one out. You picked one out. So next week, episode three of the Summer Sports Spectacular, we're going into the world of basketball. 1988, game seven. And I've seen this is one of the greatest game sevens for basketball. So we might be in for a trade. Three, one, back to back to back. Pistons and Lakers. Now, I asked you last week, what do you expect from 1991 World Series? Next week, what do you expect? 1988 Game 7, Pistons and Lakers. I expect the bad boy Pistons. I expect some Magic Johnson. And I expect a lot of um, people on the ground from really hard fouls for Bill. Yeah, not from flopping. Yeah. No, this will be good. I expect a great Game 7. And it's basketball, right? So we're getting the variety in. And I think that basically covers it here. Episode two, can you believe we are now officially a fifth of the way done with the Summer Sports Spectacular, our 10-episode series. 
this episode we had we had some difficulties before we got on but it all worked out hopefully you guys enjoyed episode two drew where can the people find you on the internet you can find me on instagram drew skyberg d-r-e-w-s-k-y-b-e-r-g and how about you jordan well i mean i guess we should plug our own things we haven't really said the usual follow us on apple Podcasts. leave that five star review subscribe to our youtube we're up to 25 subscribers i believe on youtube even though the numbers are doing bad i think because the thumbnails are different i don't know i don't really know how youtube works i just try and get the videos up there and hopefully raise some listeners so do that our instagram jordan drew underscore sports crew i think at the end of the week i'll post the s the rest of the episodes what we're going to do if 50 50 followers we will oh post. as a bonus i yeah. like that get us to 50. if we hit 50 followers we will post the entire rundown on our instagram as a little bonus i'll probably just put it yeah i'll make a post for it it won't go in the story we'll post it if we get 50 followers i'll make a post and it'll say all the episodes with the entire rundown and if we change something you guys on instagram will be the first to know thank you for following on there if you haven't already i'm on twitter at jordan law underscore pxp oh 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 also we shouted him out in episode 13 but we have a new logo for jordan and drew the sports crew this thing is absolutely beautiful and i need to give a shout out to the man who made it donnie cartier he's on twitter you can go ahead and follow him what a guy making us that logo and hopefully it'll be on some shirts soon so that's the long-winded wrap around here as we end episode two of jordan and drew the sports crew summer sports spectacular the perfect podcast for you